0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy
1: Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met
0: right after college. Yeah, in our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then, it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy.
1: Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you, and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
0: We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. Apparently, we're not the only ones who flock to Heidi Stevens' balancing act columns at the Chicago Tribune every week. Yep. Yeah. I'm always seeing my friends on Facebook sharing her columns because she writes about things um, we often think about, talk about, and deal with in our families. Did your stomach just growl? <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you I just had coffee and a sausage for breakfast? <laughs> yes. Sorry. In fact, she was recently named one of the most powerful women in Chicago journalism by Robert Feeder. Holla!
0: I, you know, listen, when when I was... Starting off as a producer here, um, Bob Collins told me that every morning my first job was to read Robert Feeder to see if we still had a job. <laughs> <laughs> I still check out Robert Feeder as well. Yeah. Um, I, did you also know that she won the Ann Keegan Award over this past weekend? It's from the Chicago Headline Club. Um, it is... Let me see. Is named for the late Tribune columnist. The Keegan Award recognizes journalists who tell stories of ordinary people in extraordinarily well reported and well written prose. Sounds about right.
1: That sounds like that. That's perfect for her. Well, you name it. She's written about it. Um, she's written about Good Samaritan. She wrote about the AJ Freund case with DCFS, a college admission scandal, even selling her favorite car, um, which we all you know can relate to, letting go of. A- ...of your favorite car. Mm -hmm. Um, She writes about things that people struggle with, and in my opinion, she does a damn good job articulating what oftentimes is going on in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she does it. No.
0: No, really, because in your head, it's a special place. (laughs) Boing, 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 (laughs) boing. It's it's echoing in here. (laughs)
1: What? No, there's just a lot going on. So, I thought this week's episode, we could do something a little different. We're not going to talk about one particular topic, but rather a mashup of several things Heidi's written about. Um... And we'll riff off of that. She's a parent and she's a columnist writing about everyday life and things that we encounter.
0: Yep. And again, it's called Balancing Act.
1: Yes. So we're so excited to have her with us. We scored big.
0: Yeah, we did. Hi, Heidi. Hi. <laughs> thanks for being on our show. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Let's start with, so, you know, we are based in Chicago, so we are very much a um, tuned to Chicago Tribune, but we have people listening all over the country, so they might not know who you are. This is a good, a good time to sort of say who you are. We're a parenting podcast, but, um, can you give us a glimpse into your sort of family life and how it all comes together? I can. I can. Um, hi, all over the country, people. Uh, <laughs> I, uh yeah,
2: I am a uh, columnist here at the Chicago Tribune. I've been here since 1998 um, in various capacities, been writing a column for about seven of those years, I guess. Um, I am married and uh, it's a blended family situation. So this is my second marriage and I have an 18-year-old stepson with my second husband and then I have two biological kids, a daughter who's 13 and a son who's nine. From my first marriage, so we uh, we all live happily and messily and crazily in uh, Logan Square with um, a dog and kids and deadlines and um, yeah, that's Th- our that's our deal.
0: That brings up a question we have not talked about blending families. Um, was that at all of a struggle for you? Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it was. Um, I mean, I'll I'll say this that like what you what I envisioned it to be and the kind of value system I expected to you know carry through our blending and our living together harmoniously, um, you know, had to adjust and and calibrate as we went and and so you know I think I envisioned like I suddenly went from having two kids to three kids and my husband went from having one kid to three kids and his son went from having no siblings to having two siblings and like this sort of insta family model was happening in my head and you know in reality that's pretty tough that might work for some people didn't work for us everyone gets along quite well and we're really lucky about that I mean my kids adore their stepdad and um, you know I I get along quite well with my stepson but we had to build in I guess, room to get used to the new life in ways that I wasn't. I mean, I'll say this, um, you know, often there's stuff that my stepson doesn't want to come to involving my kids or there's stuff my kids don't want to go to involving him or there's stuff that my husband and his son need to go do together to preserve that one-on-one bond that they had sure. for all the years before we were part of the family, and and stuff like that that I don't think I went in understanding how important that would be, and now I sort of can't believe I didn't go in knowing how important that stuff would be, and it's all fine, it's just not what I thought it would look like, so it took a little bit of time to learn that, um, but... It's good. It's, uh, you know, we're not, you don't go from being a family of two or a family of three to a family of five, and everyone it just, you know, figures out how that works overnight. Absolutely. It takes a while.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you can't it, snap it, it into so. place. Well, and we're all used to the Brady Bunch, right? You know, we, we think that, oh, three boys, three Marshall, girls, Marshall. everyone's fine. And yeah. And not so much. And you're dealing not with so a
1: much. teenager, too, an 18-year-old. At 18, there's teen angst. There's like, yeah. I don't want to do that, or, you know, so... That's standard in every house.
2: Right, yeah. And he was 12 when we got married. And uh, so, you know, I had a sort of a dress rehearsal for the teenage years, um, which helped me, I think, um, now that my daughter is 13. Um, I've sort of almost. Been through it a little bit one time, although not as the full-on mom, so it's different, of course. And she's a girl, and he's a boy, and you know, every, every kid is different, of sure. course. But, um, but yeah, I think in some ways it has made me a, a better, more patient mom with my daughter now that she's thirteen. Because I'm like, oh yeah, they do that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Um, oh yeah, this is familiar. So you know, it's been wonderful in in many many ways and and complicated. And others, but um, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world.
1: Well, we also have 13-year-old girls as well, Heidi. So we feel your pain, Mama. You know. yeah. you know. <laughs> this is
2: why you only had coffee for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> the,
1: exactly. the eye rolling, yeah. the stomping uh, uh, the feet, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Slamming Just happened yesterday. Doors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that your um, column is called The Balancing Act. Um, I laugh because mine, I would, if I were to write a column, I'd probably be like juggling act because balancing makes it sound so zen and so like, but that's not how life is. Um, well, it's an act,
2: so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretending.
1: Yeah, so, the emphasis is on the word act. So, how do you balance work and family as a columnist for the Tribune? Okay, here's my thing um, I
2: don't think that we can, at least in my career, the way I'm trying to. Um, balance, I guess. Wait, clear. hang on
0: for a second, Heidi, because I, I kid you not, Tracy's stomach just made the weirdest noise I've ever heard. <laughs> so- <laughs> Is there
2: another right. sausage link
0: around you <laughs> <we> can <laughs> quickly inhale? <I> <laughs> God. Oh, I, seriously, that was like something from the Black Lagoon. <laughs>
1: Godzilla's in my belly. I'm sorry, Heidi. Okay, wait. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to say it again. So how do you balance work and family as a columnist for the Tribune?
2: Well, I think that, uh, I have found that I, I don't have the, the capacity or the luxury of kind of siloing work into, you know, one area and, and parenting into another. So, you know, I don't try to hide work from my kids and I don't try to hide my kids from work. So my kids are in the office with me a lot. If they're off school, if one of them's sick, if whatever, you know, they come and hang out, um, right here at work. They'll come to meetings with me. They'll come to assignments with me. If I'm, you know, leaving work to come chaperone a field trip or, or, you know, be secret reader or do any of the things that I like to try to squeeze in. Cause that's the kind of parent I'm, I want to be, um, you know, I'll check my work email without shame. So I, I do think that um, it can be probably tempting and and helpful for some people to um, have these real strict boundaries. Like I don't check any email after 6 p.m. or I don't, um, you know, wh- 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 however you separate life and work. I, my life and work blend together uh, constantly. And I suppose part of that is that I, I do write about my family and, and my kids a fair bit. Um, but I also think that it, it's good for um, companies to see parents parenting. You know, I mean, I, I just don't think it gets us anywhere if we sort of um, come into work and pretend that we don't have children who occasionally like fall off monkey bars and need to be rescued in the middle of a meeting. Or, you know, I just I think, um you know, I think everybody benefits when we're just sort of more honest about all the things that are um, up in the air that we're hoping not to drop.
0: Amen. So in our juggling acts. (laughs) (laughs) acts. Um, So Heidi, I have a question for you about that, because um, I wrote a book about my kids and had to go through it with them to make sure that it was okay to publish, you know, uh, certain things. Do you have a, do your kids get to say, no, don't, don't write about this thing, mom, or don't, you know, don't say, you know, what I'm thinking here? 100%. Yeah. So my rule, my internal rule is that if I wouldn't
2: say it in front of them out loud, I won't write it. So if there's a little anecdote I want to tell or a a memory I want to share, if I wouldn't do that out loud with one of you standing in my kitchen and my kids are sitting there hearing it, then I'm not going to write it. Um, So I don't write about anything that I think would be embarrassing to them. I'm never going to write about bedwetting or first crushes or friend drama. Or hormones, right. none of that stuff is ever, ever, ever going to show up in my columns. I don't write at all about my ex husband. I don't want my kids. Um, I, w- I want to preserve their relationship with him and their chance to have the opinion of him and have the public not have an opinion of him based on what I write. I don't. You know, there, there's a lot that's off limits. I mean, I, I'm I'm the person who asks like permission before I put a picture of my kids on Facebook, you know, I give, them, I give them full veto power on what I write and what I post about them on social media, even because, um, you know, it's, it's weird enough to be like walking through Target and have people be like, oh, my God, are you, you know, sometimes people recognize me and they have to put up with all of that. I don't want them to also feel like anything they say or do is. Fair game. As much as I love Nora Ephron, I'm not really the "everything is copy" <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mindset. I just don't. I, I don't think it's really fair to to them.
0: Well, so what does your day look like in terms of choosing a topic, finding a topic? I, you know, I know you have an editor. Do you? Do people pitch you? Take us through the because you have a daily column, right? I do.
2: I write Monday through Friday. It goes yeah, it goes on chicago dot com Monday through Friday, and then the columns run in print, kind of. Like whenever I don't have a super um, hard and fast schedule on that. Although I'm always in Sunday, you know, in the life and travel, I guess it's called now life and travel section used to be life and style. Um, I'm almost always in Wednesday in health and family and then kind of throughout the week and other various sections, but um, but yes, online five days a week, I, uh, I start at 5 a.m. I get up and um, kind of poke around on social media and a couple news sites and, um, you know, kind of longer think piece kind of sites, The Atlantic, for example, um, and just try to get a feel for what people are talking about. Um, in that moment, if there's something super trendy and buzzworthy that I want to jump on, if there's something um, important and and even tragic, sort of like last week's school mm-hmm. shooting in Colorado, if I want to jump on that and and weigh in on that conversation early, um, you know, I like to get a feel for that early in the day, um, by five or six AM. And then my deadline is ten forty five AM. So I have to have a column filed by ten forty five. Um <sighs> wow. and then it's, Yeah. That with the goal of it's online by, you know, people's lunch hours. And often um, you know, if it's something That I feel. I mean, this is kind of the like sad reality of our crazy news cycle now. Um, If I feel like it's going to be old news by lunchtime, I'll file by seven thirty or eight a.m. I mean, the the Colorado school shooting. Like, I, I hate to even talk about a school shooting in this kind of framework, but, um, we are so numb to them and people are so sort of ready to move on like the next day that, that I, I filed by eight in the morning the mm-hmm. day after. Cause I was like, you know what? I actually think by lunch, people are going to be like, oh, enough about that school shooting. I'm not kidding. I, I mean that I don't, I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. So, mm-hmm. um, so there are a lot of days where I'll file first thing in the morning, but, um, but yeah, drop. Drop dead, it has to be up by noon. Gotcha. And sometimes you do two in one day, right? Sometimes I do, yeah. If something, actually, um, like that um, Houston dress code story where the principal. Wanted a dress code for the parents. Um, that was the second column I wrote that day because I had written something else that morning, and then I read that story and I was like, "Oh, I got to weigh in on
0: that." <laughs> so, well, let's, let's talk about that because you you wrote there are two dress code stories that caught my attention. You know, one was Notre Dame, um, a mom who wrote a letter saying girls shouldn't wear leggings, and so we'll go we'll go there. And then also letter. the Houston dress code. So, all right, I got to be honest, my thirteen year old. And I've got a ten-year-old daughter too. They—that's all they wear. They wear leggings all the time. hundred so, percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So, so, what? What was this? This woman was saying essentially that it was unfair for her sons to have to watch girls wear leggings. Yeah, she said she wrote a letter to the student newspaper at Notre Dame and she asked the
2: young women of Notre Dame to please consider the mothers of sons when they're shopping and when they're getting dressed and think about how hard it is to raise sons um, to be respectful of women and keep their hands to themselves um, when all these young women are walking around in, you know, these super form-fitting leggings, including, like, at mass. She's, you know, had to deal with, like, seeing these young college students at mass in leggings. I mean, I'm thinking, like, if... If I see college students at mass, I mean I'm sure not scolding them for absolutely anything. I'm just yeah. impressed that like they're like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't I sure didn't step foot in, in in, church during college. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I found that to be um, number one, just like a fool's errand. I mean, are you really gonna turn around the tide and and get Um, you know, girls and women to stop wearing leggings. No, you're not. Um, Second of all, just like, ooh, for her sons, I thought, why don't you, I mean, wouldn't it be better to sit your sons down over like pancakes or whatever and be like, look, you know, (laughs) sometimes you're going to see young women's bodies and you're probably going to feel turned on. And like, that is absolutely fine. In fact, we, the, you know the the continuation of the human race actually kind of needs for you to be turned on. <laughs> um, that's okay. Just like don't do anything disrespectful about it. Don't say something disrespectful. Don't grab a woman without her permission. Like here are the things that you should and should not do with those feelings. Wouldn't that be a better approach than to write a letter, to, like an open letter to you know the female population and ask them to like cover their bodies so her job would be easier. I just found it so, um, like I said, a fool's errand, but also just kind of like, gosh, your poor sons are getting this weird message that like they should feel like bad people if they're turned on by women walking around a campus when in fact that doesn't make them bad people. If they go up and, and grope them, yeah, then you're a bad person. But just like you feel turned on now. Now you should feel ashamed. I, I don't like that.
1: Well, when I when that story broke, I remember thinking to myself, and we all have thirteen year old girls, dress codes at school, and we don't have uniforms at our school out in the burbs, But uh, it's it's painful to find clothes for girls that fit, and and boys don't even have to think twice about it because most of the stuff that they wear, it's it's painful to go shopping for clothes for school. You have right. to have the three fingers wide tank tops. You have to, your shorts or whatever, or your skirts have to be at the end of your pinky. I think it's your pinky yeah. or middle finger. Like all these rules about it. And it's like leggings. Oh my gosh. What's wrong with those leggings? It's this double line covering-
2: because they want to be, you know, they want to shop for the stuff that's cute and that's for sale right now and trendy. And then they're made to feel like that stuff is shameful. It's like, well, uh, that's, what's being marketed to me. That's what's cute. I, I, you know, it just puts them in a terrible position. The boys number one just aren't policed in the way that the girls are. Number two, the stuff they sell for them is baggy and does cover more. And that's what happens to be fashionable right now. So like, it just is, it just puts girls in, a terrible spot when they should be focusing on learning and playing and hanging with friends and playing sports and not, you know, like, Oh God, is too much of my shoulder showing.
1: Yeah. A physical appearance We're, we want to focus on the inside, not the not what you look like, so
0: right, right. The other side of that is the Houston story where a principal mm-hmm. said that parents needed to uh, show up wearing certain things or not wearing certain things. What was the that was kind of a that was a racist sort of thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was for sure aimed at African American parents
2: um and you know, no shower caps, no um satin bonnets, no rollers. No,
1: um, pajamas, of course,
2: no leggings, no pajamas of any kind was, I think the, the way she phrased it, this principal phrased it. And I just found that hilarious because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like literally 70% of us drop our kids off in our pajamas in the morning. I mean, we just do like, unless I'm on my way to work, I don't change. I, I mean, I also don't walk my kids to school. I drive, well, I only, it's only my son. Now my daughter gets to school on her own, but, um, but I drive them, and I don't like get fancy to get in the car. Um,
1: Me either. So, I'm wearing yeah. my Costco. I'm wearing my Costco flannel pajamas most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm figure nobody can see because it's only from like my chest up and my hair. So my hair's all disheveled. I don't care.
0: Yeah, my kids right. are lucky if I wear a bra. <laughs>
2: Oh, same. Yeah, I'm always, like, if you have a, winter coat. a little prayer that I don't get in a car accident. I'm like, well.
0: No, for sure. Like, you know, the, have run, but. the whole celebrity mugshot thing, you know, when people get pulled over and you see their mugshots, I'm like, please don't let that be me anytime yeah. soon. Because it's, yeah, there's nothing good looking about uh, drop-off at Me our in house. the
1: morning. No, not so much.
0: <laughs> same. Yeah. So she was, this principal was arguing that,
2: you know, this is a high school and these kids need to learn that, you know know, their appearance matters when they leave the house and go for a job interview and make impressions with, you know, people who don't know them, all of which is true hundred percent. And I, I think her heart is in the right place and I appreciate that she wants, you know, all grown ups to be role models to her kids, not just their teachers and coaches and administrators, but like anybody around them can influence you know, the way they go through the world. I totally believe in that. I just think to, um, number one, put one more barrier in place between a parent and, um, you know, a school is is not a good thing. I think the more involvement and the more presence you have in your kid's school, the better for that kid. Um, and then number two, to like um, pick these arbitrary um, you know, clothing items or or hair items and then stick them on a list like no leggings. I, it just felt to me like, OK, so if this were Nutria and a mom rolled up in her Lululemon leggings after Pilates, like would the principal be OK with that? I mean, it just felt a little like classist. It just felt like super arbitrary and also, beside the point, I mean, if, you know, the, the important thing is that you're getting your kid to school and yes. that you you know where they go to school and you drop them there and you drop everything and pick them up from there if something happens at school. And who cares what you look like?
1: Exactly. When you gave that um, Lululemon example in the column, that, that solidified it for me right there. Also, yeah. s-
0: side note, my husband at one point, someone asked what his favorite clothes for a woman to wear were. And, and he said, uh, yoga pants. And I was like, I don't have yoga pants, and he said, "Oh yeah, but the, the ladies that drop off do." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Nice. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so,
1: um, we we recently interviewed the founder of Bump Club and Beyond. It's a it's a, a woman who we called her a mompreneur who um, melded like parenthood and mothering um, with a bit a side business, and it became a big business, and it was her it's her job now. Um, so she's built quite a business for herself what advice would you give because you're you're an example of a mom who is a mom and taking care of a family and also a successful business person with a daily column do you have any advice for moms maybe like because i'm a stay-at-home mom so um for moms that are trying to get back into the workforce after being out for a while
2: I mean, I would say this is a little bit of a repetition of what I said at the beginning, but I would say that, you know, don't feel like the two things have to be utterly separate. Like, I, you know, I have to go to work and pretend I don't even have children or I have to come home to my kids and pretend I don't even have a job because I just think that can make us crazy. I think it's OK for your kids to say, like, you know, I can I can come throw that ball with you or I can grab you, know, grab you a snack when I'm done sending this email. I just do. I think it's okay for kids to wait for two minutes while you finish up stuff for your job. And I think the same is true of work. I think you can say, yeah, I'll be there at 1130 um, today. I got to take my kid to the dentist or, oh, you know, I woke up and my daughter had a fever. We're running to urgent care. I'll be in late today. Like, I think those things, you know, actually need to happen for us to move forward as women in the workplace. I do. I think our kids need to be better at supporting and understanding our career time. And I think our careers need to be better at supporting and understanding our family time. So I think we need to sort of lead by example on that stuff. Um, I would also say, you know, if you, it's a bit of a luxury and it sounds like, you know, sort of pie in the sky advice, but I think if you can find a way to, you know, turn something that you love and also feel like you have a a little bit of a talent for into, you know, your career, um, you know, that that's a great way to work as a mom. I mean, I, you know, I, I write about all sorts of stuff, but, you know, I, I think the, the stuff that I enjoy writing the most and the stuff that I get the best, um, feedback on is certainly the family stuff. And, you know, I think people are, um, you know, people are hungry to feel a sense of community, that they're not in this craziness to, you know, alone. I think that's partly why, you know, so much of us, so many of us spend so much time on Facebook and Instagram is like, you know, you just want to feel like you're not alone in this. Exactly. Um, And so I think when I, you know, write about family and parenting, people are like, oh, yes, it's not just me or um, or God, I would never do it that way. But OK, I, you know, she's trying this thing that I tried and I would try it differently. But we're all trying. Um, I sort of try to write like I'm in the trenches with people. I'm not handing out advice like here's what you should be doing or here's what right. you should never be doing. It's more like, you know, here's what we're all <laughs> trying to do.
1: Identifying identifying things that are happening. Yeah, I
2: think so. And then, um, you know, the, the, the two columns I think that I wrote this year that got the most, um, for sure the most readers because, you know, they measure our clicks every second of every day of our lives. Um, were like the, um, after the college cheating scandal, I wrote a column about what I want high school seniors to understand about college. And then after Cody Parkey had that double doink, um, I wrote kind of like a thank you to Cody Parkey for teaching my kids what I want them to take away from sports, either the sports they play or the sports they watch. And, um, you know, I still literally still hear from people about both of those columns, however many months later. And I think that, um, again, I don't know if this is really answering your question, but I do think that, like, for me, um, I I have identified that, you know, I like to write, and I think there's an appetite for writing that helps people feel... Less Alone, and helps people look at these um, big collective experiences that we're all having together. Like, okay, we all were talking about that college cheating scandal. We all were talking about Cody Parkey, at least here in Chicago. Um, And make them make a little bit of sense for us and um, maybe give us a way to talk to our families about them um, or talk to our friends about them if we're having a mom's night out. And so I guess if you, you know, if there's a way that you can take a thing that you like to do and you think you're good at and marry that to, you know, what there feels like there's an appetite for, that can be that can be really um, lucrative, if not Like, financially
0: lucrative, you know, fulfilling. Fulfilling. I was going to say fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's some of what this is. You know, our podcast is us, uh, being sort of absolutely average parents and talking to people who, um, make us better. And I think our audience likes that. I also need to tell you, Heidi, that I was the, I commented on your, uh, Cody Parkey uh, column because I said that I'm a, a a rabid Bears fan and also a fan of your writing and I think you said that's a very small Venn diagram <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, that sounds familiar <laughs> Yes, um, um, but I, I thought that was a great article but you know because those of us who are huge Bears fans people who, who don't know about this you know he, he double doinked like you know he couldn't kick it it didn't work and so it was incredibly frustrating but also taking a step back that's life Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's
1: right. We're running out of time, but I just want to bring up one other thing. You wrote about um, male relationships, uh, one of your columns, and you also you have your own podcast um, that you talked about this topic as well um, mm-hmm. with male friendships. And um, I understood your theory, but I had I had just a, a tweak of it when I was okay. reading through it. And that was that I, sometimes I wish I were a man because you wrote about how male friendships, they're lacking most men are very depressed. Um there's a study that came out that said men are have more depression because they have less interpersonal relationships with other men. And that mm-hmm. women are able to meld like having being a parent and a mom, but also having friends and and bringing the kids together whereas guys go out on their poker nights and stuff.
2: Yeah, I, without kids.
1: Yes. I wish there were more times where, as a mom, I could go out and not be getting my adult interaction on the sideline of a baseball field or a basketball court or at a Cub Scout meeting.
2: Yeah, no, I think um, I think for me anyway. A lot of my closest friends now I did meet through my kids. Like they're the parents of my kids' friends, or they're the you know their kids are on the same teams as my kids. Um, But we, you know, we do all that, like, you know, hanging out on the sidelines stuff, but but then um, the parts that I think, to your point, are my favorite are when we take it off site. Like, hey, like you know, we're at practice. Like, do you guys want to have moms' night out Saturday? And I mean, even if it's like a couple of Friday nights ago, we took a flower arranging class at Mariano's. It was an hour long, but still, like, no kids were there. We had a bottle of wine, we arranged some flowers, we talked, we went home. But um, that sounds you know, awesome. He, <laughs> yeah, it was super fun actually, and and even if the friendships, you know. Um, are sort of like Arteries that flow off the, you know, the central thing is your kids. You know each other because your kids, right. and your kids are friends, and you mostly see each other at your kids' stuff. Like if you can take, you know, once a month or once every three months and go out, same group, but without the kids there or not at a kids' event, like that's when the real fun and real conversation happens. I find. Yeah,
1: that's where the magic happens.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I also I know
0: thought that, it, that. I thought it was you know, funny, Heidi, that you were that you were saying, you know. Um, Making your kids be friends with your friends' kids, you know. Yeah. And so I, uh, we've changed schools a couple of times, and I, I am adamant that our, you know, early our preschool moms are some of my best friends, and so I'm, my thirteen-year-old has to hang out with her preschool friends because I'm hanging out with their moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: we force and it. I, I could go on and on about this too, but I think the, I think there's a lot of value and richness in our kids having friends that aren't. From school or a team they're on, because, you know, when things aren't going well at school or things aren't going well on a team they're on or on a, you know, whatever their hobby is, um, you know, a a band that they're in or whatever, um, for them to have a safe space where they don't have to deal with the drama of school or the drama of their you know hobby or their sport. Um, it can be really a godsend, I think, and I've experienced that. And so, I think it's actually a really cool thing that we do for our kids by, you know, introducing them to these people that would not be in their orbit otherwise, because those can be really safe spaces for them when, you know, stuff's getting a little lousy, as it will um, in the other parts of their lives.
1: Exactly. That's why my daughter has. Anne's daughters. Yes. They've known each other since we were in Wiggle Worms at Old Town School of Music. And, and you know, I live in the suburbs. She lives in the city. And we still get together and they still are friends and they text each other and stuff, even though they're not sitting in social studies together anymore or
0: whatever. And it's almost like they're cousins. You know, we like, in fact, for a while they thought they were cousins. (laughs)
1: You are Auntie Anne. <laughs> yeah. Wait, are we blood? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. <Aww>. So <laughs> I love that.
1: So thank you so much for, we could go on and on. You write so many columns that I just, I'm like, oh, yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Or when a new story comes up, um, or then just like the topics that happen in everyone's houses, you, you touch on it and you have a way of writing it that I am not that eloquent in being able to say what you say, but you do it so well.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. What's the name of your podcast so we can plug it? Oh, it's
2: On Purpose, Mm -hmm. uh, the Heidi Stevens and Dr. John Duffy podcast.
0: Excellent. Awesome. We know Dr. John Duffy. We do. We had him on. Yeah, we had him on to talk about whether it's okay to perpetuate um, traditional. (laughs) Myths. We can't even say it now, like Santa and tooth fairy and all that. Oh, fun! Yeah, Yeah. isn't he good? Yes, he's awesome. Yeah, I love him. He's the best. Thank you for coming on, and um, we might be calling you again sometime. Well, I'll answer. Thank you so much, (laughs) Heidi Stevens, columnist (laughs) for the Chicago,
1: columnist for the Chicago Tribune, with her balancing act column. Thank you so much, and talk soon. Okay, sounds good. Cheers. So apparently. This brings us to the end of season three. Isn't that crazy? This episode
0: marks the end of season three. Yep. And we're going to take a little break because the end of the school year is here and summer's going to start ramping up and we need to do take a, little- a time out.
1: <laughs> we're putting ourselves in a time out for this. Yes. Yes, yes, we are we're
0: putting ourselves in a time out.
1: We're so grateful for everyone for following us on Facebook, listening to our podcast, sharing it out, um, your emails, comments, so on show ideas. We've
0: loved Every, every interaction, um, and are so appreciative of it. And please, even though we're not, we're going to take a few weeks off, send us ideas. You know, we've got the apparently, uh, Facebook page. We have apparently, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you want us to cover next. In season four,
1: there's never an end to parenting topics. And we've just probably scratched the surface only through season three. So we'll have lots of more fun things to talk about. Um, in season
0: four, this is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos, and I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look.